Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic I believe most patients haven't heard about their family members, and it's called ESCOs. And we're going to learn more about that acronym because, you know, everybody in the kidney community talks about it and acronyms. But this program is being run by the Dialysis Clinics Incorporated, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Torres Kapoian. Is that correct, Dr. Kapoian? Did I say that right? Oh, yay, yay. Um, He's going to explain a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about what an ESCO is and why you decided to start one. So the um, the letters ESCO in ESCO, the E stands for ESRD, end-stage renal disease, seamless care organization. Um, and so this was a project put together by CMMI, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, uh, to try and come up with a better model for taking care of patients with kidney disease. We were very excited by this idea because um, what we see in our dialysis patients uh, typically is that the, nef- the nephrologist becomes, um, in fact, the primary care provider. Mm-hmm. The patient has a cold. The patient has some other symptoms. They call their primary care doctor. Their primary care doctor says, you know, you're on dialysis. I'm really not sure what you can take. You should call your kidney doctor. Well, you know, and I'm a victim of that because my nephrologist is my primary care doctor because it, I, I ran into the same problem. I would call somebody and they're like, well, what does your nephrologist say? And I'm like, well, I guess I should just go see him if you want me to ask him what to do all the time. <laughs> and, and so what ends up happening is patients do exactly the same thing. So they stop calling their primary care provider and they call their nephrologist directly. And so we end up assuming the care. Mm-hmm. And so here's the opportunity to not just assume the care from the kidney side of things, but to really try to um, assume and coordinate the care um, from all aspects for the patient. So that would include uh, things in addition to just your, you know, vascular access surgery, dialysis. It might include maybe your annual um, uh, exams would encompass more of the primary care functions. Is that um, a good example? Well, we're not actually performing the primary I mean, per- care functions, but we're serving more almost like the coordinators Coordinator. of those functions. To make sure it's all happening. Exactly. So um, our patients, are, as you know, are really sick. They're on a lot of medications. They have lots of doctors, and they have lots of tests and lots of things going on, and it's easy to lose track of those things. And so to have somebody who can help you keep that list together and help you navigate the system so that you don't get lost, um, I think that's really what we're trying to do for these patients and for our patients. Well, you know, and that's so important because um, I have a couple of friends and I continually tell them, you know, you have to see a dermatologist regularly. You have to see a gynecologist regularly. Um, and, you know, especially with transplant. And they just sometimes forget that they have to see these other doctors in order 
for their transplant to function properly and um, or to not get sick from another illness. <laughs> and so, um, yes, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, I have 10 doctors and I manage them, but, you know, that's that's a difficult job. And that's what a lot of patients are managing, a lot of different physicians. And unfortunately, I think the world has gotten so busy and so crazy that a lot of times the healthcare world um, isn't talking to patients as much as they should be. And so we don't know what they really want. Um, we talk to them about what we think is important, but we don't focus on what they think is important. And so part of the strategy is to align ourselves with the patients so that we know what's important to them and we can help them to achieve those goals so that they're not only living healthier lives, but they're living the life that they really want to live. What comes to mind is that one of the most difficult aspects of care as somebody who's lived with an illness for so long is I see so many doctors, but they're so spread out. You know, I'm thinking, wow, if we could have like a mall and then have every doctor in a different, you know, um, like have a Macy's and have my nephrologist there and then, you know, the Starbucks in between doctors and maybe a, a, a bookstore. So, you know, I have something to do while I'm waiting. <laughs> but um, that would be ideal because uh, and then have one parking fee where I could just pay $10 a month for all my parking. That would be just wonderful. And um, but I don't know if that's part of the process. That might be a little bit of a utopia type of thought, but who knows, right? Put it out there. I don't know, but if you don't dream it, it'll never happen. This is true. It, it's, I know one of the biggest aspects, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, is transportation and, you know, trying to coordinate the doctors in the right order, too. Sometimes you need to see one doctor before you see another doctor, especially when it goes to, you know, like pre-op. I've had calls where they see the wrong doctor before they have to see the next doctor. <laughs> and so it is, it's, 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 it's not easy. So this ESCO model would basically, I'm trying to make a visual for the people listening, it would take the dialysis care that you're providing and it would encompass more, a bigger pie where you would help manage their hospitalizations. So perhaps you could have them some other specialty with payment to prevent them from going in the hospital. You're, you're right in a sense. Um, you know, during the model, Medicare will get billed in the normal way. Um, but in the end, the goal is to not only improve the care, but by doing all of this coordination to hopefully save money. And so um, that that's part of this model. You're right. Well, yeah, because if you give better care and coordinate it, a lot of times you won't go to the hospital because you're able to take care of it by being coordinated. I, I, I don't know what's a better word for coordinated. Hey, I have to think Lori, of it. So this is Doug Johnson. Would it help if we kind of walked you through a patient's journey through the ESCO? I think that would be awesome. So to us, the first step is we want to care for patients when they have chronic kidney disease before they're on dialysis. Okay. We want to provide the best care possible to those patients, and our primary goal is to keep them off dialysis. Kathy Searson is the CKD care coordinator here. So, Kathy, you want to talk about how you work with patients with CKD? Yeah, this is Bob Montaki. I just want to introduce Kathy Searson. She has about 30 years in dialysis. She's very dedicated, and in New Jersey, we're licensed to have a CKD program. Kathy has a level of excitement and caring for patients that I see that's really improved the quality of the performance of what we're doing for patients. 
prior to dialysis. I introduce you to Kathy Searson. She's our CKD coordinator. Hi, Kathy. Glory, so as you know, um, how frightening it must be to hear the first diagnosis of kidney disease. So what, uh, what I try, uh, I have the nephrologist refer patients as early as they want to. Um, pre- you know, preferably I see them no later than stage four, but it'd be preferable if you see them before. Um, um, stage four is like a GFR of 21 to like 30. Is that correct? Oh, right. It's, okay. It's, it's from like 15 to about 30. Okay, 15 to 30. Okay. Right. So if you can meet someone at least at that point, um, you can start working with them to modify maybe some behaviors in their health to maybe slow down uh, their kidney disease and slow that progression and keep them further away from the dialysis chair for as long as you can, such as with diabetics, you know, keeping their blood sugars under control and hypertensives, keeping their blood sugars and blood pressures under control, things like getting their vaccinations to prevent, um, you know, bad diseases like flus. Um, and as they move down, it, down in kidney function, then I always felt that all patients should be aware of all the modalities that, you know, even back in the late 80s, early 90s, that, you know, modality selection, if the patient is educated, they should really have a role in deciding what they want to do. Because I, I believe that education empowers the patient to, you know, make decisions and not just listen necessarily to everything that the physician says and make them feel confident in their decisions. And so many patients I will see will come in so frightened or angry, even very angry and, you know, don't want really anything to do with it, but the doctor told them to come. And over time, I see their personalities changing because they understand things are not as frightening as they thought. Or they could be, but now they understand them. Mm-hmm. And as they move over to the, to the dialysis side, if that is what's going to happen, they understand what they're going to expect on the other side. And I, I truly have seen where if patients understand why dialysis nurses are telling, or nephrologists are telling them to do this or that, and, you know, watch your food, watch what you eat, when, once they get on dialysis, they understand ahead of time why we're doing that, you know, how we're trying to, pr- to protect their bodies. Um, I, I think they they become a better patient, I guess you could say. And well, and you know, one of the things that you know I've observed, and I had a call last week actually. A gentleman called me, and it, he had met me through another group that I was in, and it was totally unrelated. But he has to start dialysis, and um, his nephrologist told him that he could go on dialysis for a while, then he could get a transplant, and he has a living donor. And, you know, and so I said, look, I said, you know, you need to go find out if you could perhaps get preemptive transplanted. And because if he doesn't explore all, if he doesn't know all his options and he doesn't explore them, what happens is you have a distrust of the system. And if you learn a different option that you didn't know about, I know for myself and many of my peers, you start to question it. And, you know, good healthcare really resolves around trusting your healthcare team. And if they feel like you haven't told them something or you told them something and they don't remember, you're still guilty of them, you not telling them, that um, it, it, it really uh, prevents to have the best relationship. And I know for myself, living a long time, it's you have to pick your healthcare professionals, your doctors, is, you know, carefully as you pick your husband because it's sometimes (laughs) even a little more important um, uh, of a relationship (laughs) than, you know, your spouse because you won't be here without a good one. (laughs) 
So I, I imagine you get a chance to build trust with patients, and then they yeah. can come yes. to make and, their and own you're decisions. you're so right about that transplant, because so many patients come to me and say, really? I can go to get a transplant evaluation before dialysis? It's amazing. Most people don't know that, so you're exactly right. Right. So I think, yeah, so I think, like, with the ESCO, starting out with the, the trust right from the beginning before you even move over to dialysis and then move on to the other patients. I have Karen here, who's one of the dialysis care coordinators. Um, I, I just think a patient will just feel so much more secure knowing, you know, as they move down, go across the different uh, spectrums of, of kidney care. And once a patient uh, starts in the dialysis clinic, I'm going to introduce you to one of our transitional care coordinators, Karen Nugent. Uh, Karen also has a background. She's been at every level in the dialysis business. She's been a patient care tech and RN and educator. And just recently, over the last couple of years, uh, she's been uh, enrolled, in, and obviously she's now a nurse practitioner as well. She serves as our transitional care coordinator in uh, Monroe and the Freehold Unit. So, uh, Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining Kidney Talk. Hi, Lori. Um, thank you for having us. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to share our um, experience here at DCI. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, you were talking earlier in the phone call about that mall where you thought it would be great and you can go to um, your... Macy's store and see your nephrologist and then go to uh, Starbucks and get coffee and be- before you go to the cardiologist. <laughs> what the, the transitional care coordinator kind of does fill that role in that um, she helps coordinate the care for um, the patient amongst all their providers. For example, um, just going back to my uh, when my dad was alive and I was helping him navigate the healthcare system, he would go to the nephrologist and the nephrologist would say, take this med or don't take that med. Then he'd go to the cardiologist and the cardiologist would say, well, you really shouldn't be on that one, but I want you to take the one that the primary care physician discontinued. So there was, and it was always, my father would always say to me, don't you guys talk to each other? (laughs) (laughs) So I can understand firsthand that frustration. And that's where um, my role comes in uh, with the patient once they start on dialysis. And um, with, with the patients, especially with the patients that have had CKD education prior to coming to dialysis, they come with a working fistula. They don't have the um, the catheter in their chest, which is, as we all know, is a high risk for infection. Um, so they're starting out on better footing. With my role coordinating the care, we try and help them navigate um, and stay out of the hospital and uh, reduce admissions. And then, of course, if they've never been admitted, then we don't have to worry about the readmission. Right. Well, you know, one of the things, too, what you're saying is that I, I think of all the elements of the care that I have to, you know, do every day. And it's like having a Ph.D., and I've, I've had 40-plus years to learn how to do this. And when somebody is just entering the kidney community, it's kind of like the deer in the headlights. They don't know mm-hmm. what—they they have to have time to just acclimate to making decisions. So I know that people are, you know, 
have to make a decision, you know, you need to go on dialysis right now, which, you know, you're going to go in center hemo, that's really the only option you have. And I think it leaves people feeling angry that they didn't get to make a choice. And I know whenever I have a diagnosis, I have a certain emotional pattern that I go through. I go through shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, and then finally understanding and in grief. And so having, you know, time to be able to work through these emotions and and then choose the right treatment is 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 just makes you mentally more uh, available to have the wherewithal to deal with this illness because it's it's not for the faint of heart and you have to have you know your your head on straight I would say to be able to cope a lot of times so. Um, can you talk a little bit about the treatment options? Because one of the things that I, when I read about your program, you're giving um, the patients all the options. And can you explain all the treatment options that you offer in your programs? Because I think that people need to st- understand all the treatment options. Okay, so the options for a patient with end-stage renal disease is um, hemodialysis, which can be learned to be done at home or in-center. Um, peritoneal dialysis, which is a home option, but there are ways to do it either automated or non-automated. Um, there's then there's transplant, and then there's a the choice of no no treatment at all. That all patients really should know that no one's going to tell them they have to do a dialysis therapy, but they need to be educated on what that exactly means. Generally, what I do is I explain them. I have equipment that I show them. I offer them to talk to other patients that are doing those types of modalities. Um, we utilize our social worker. Say there is a patient who is really not sure they even want to do dialysis, and but they don't want to explain that to their family. Um, we utilize the social worker. We have a dietitian, so people can talk even before they start dialysis. Um, you know, start talking about the diet specifications for for renal disease. Um, so we offer it all. I, I, I tour people in the hemodialysis unit. Um, so whatever, and if I don't know the answer, I have plenty of people to go to and ask. Well, one of the topics you touched upon is that people don't have to do dialysis. And I think this isn't a subject that's really talked about a lot. I know when I have spoken to some people that I've known that have experienced kidney failure, and I say, you know, you don't have to dialyze if you don't want to. It's a choice, choosing dialysis, you you know, but... Um, Unfortunately, if you know you get too sick, it, 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 there, there's no other alternative other than I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to gra- gracefully say this is that uh, mortality is a very strange thing for all of us to talk about and saying you know everybody has an expiration date, and if you don't do dialysis, it's mo- more likely to come sooner rather than later. Um, what what do you tell people that you know might not be good candidates for dialysis or may not want to do dialysis? If they, you know, were thinking or or even stopping dialysis, I had a conversation with a a, a lady the other day who's thinking about stopping dialysis because she's just been on for a very long time and she doesn't have much quality of life anymore. Well, I mean, if a patient comes and does not even want to do dialysis, we t- I t- I talk to them what that means and you know I'm sh- make sure they're aware that you cannot survive without any kidney function, but then you can bring in the I mean, what options we have today, which is kind of new fields, but we have palliative care and hospice care, and those people know how real they're their experts in talking to patients about 
the death process yeah, and how to have that conversation. So we're going to start utilizing them in, in our in our ESCO also. Um, but, you know, I think it's just something that patients have to, they know. They, they know. That, they, that that is a decision they can make. And I think another important thing is that no matter what they decide, it's not the end all. A lot of patients, you know, it's a big pressure to make a decision on what to do. So I always make sure they know. So if you choose, you say, you know what, I think I would like to try home dialysis, but I don't know. Well, I would say, well, you can try it. doesn't mean if it doesn't work out, you can't go to in center. Or if you right. feel that you're maybe don't want to do this and you're going to what we call medical management where um, you're receiving comfort care or you're we're just adjust, um, uh treating your symptoms because you don't want to go into dialysis therapy, at any point in time, if you change your mind, you can. So right. nothing is written in stone. Right. It's not like you sign it, I'm never going to do dialysis. <laughs> you know, you're not signing that you'll never do it. You're just choosing right. it for and the moment. A lot moment. of people don't realize that they say they think once they make that decision, that's it. Right. You know, that's what they're going to be stuck with. But, um, you know, I tell them all the time, we have people that go from one modality to the next, maybe two or three times during their career on right. dialysis. So, Well, and I, you know... I, I got a call from a patient who was on um, hemodialysis, and they're like, I'd like to try peritoneal, but, you know, they didn't realize that they could. You don't have to stay on a treatment option. You can switch, even if you have a current treatment that's, you know, working, but it may not be impacting your lifestyle the way you want it to. So, but uh, I think this is a great um you know, new model that needs to be explored. I really like the idea of the whole mall scene where, you know, I could just go there and I think a manicure, pedicure, massage place right next to it might be attractive um, to patients as well. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, really try to make the care coordination, which you're trying to do, as easy as possible because if you're seeing, you know, so many doctors, your care is not being coordinated, it's really hard to go and, you know, work and take care of your family because you're so mired into the aspects of just coordinating your own care and not always getting the best care because you don't know what you're doing. I mean, you don't know what to ask. Or on the other side, if the care isn't coordinated, you're getting the same care over and over and over Exactly. Again. You go to the cardiologist. He does the CBC in a camp. He does some blood work. You come to dialysis, we do some blood work. You go to the primary, they do some blood work. Now, the patient was stuck three times for the same exact blood work. Right. So coordinating the care also means um, giving the patient copies of their labs or sending copies of their labs or test results to the appropriate care provider for continuity of care. Well, it makes sense to me. So if patients want to learn more about this, are there any um, types of materials that we could perhaps put with this um, show that they could read more about? Um, so we have a uh, website for this ESCO. Yes, that okay. is the Metropolitan Kidney Care Alliance, and it is www.metropolitankidneycare.com. Okay, that might be really helpful for people to learn about it. And if um, you think an ESCO might be coming to their area soon, or how long is the process for um, CMS, Medicare, to decide if this is a worthy project? Well, Lori, this is Doug. Um, the ESCO started in October of 2015, and, and the, those that were approved are going to go for five years and three months. Okay. We're hoping that they're going to open the, that CMMI will open up the process again this year 
so that there can be more ESCOs in other areas of the country so that more patients can benefit from this new type of care. And how can patients help the process um, if they want an ESCO in their area that would do more management of their care? Talk to your nephrologist. Talk to your nephrologist and yeah, say... Yeah, talk to your dialysis clinic. And I'll tell you one thing that's very wonderful about the different ESCOs is that each of our ESCOs has a patient representative on the board. And it's, it's one thing for us to be implementing the care that we think is the most important changes in care. It's something completely different to be able to talk to someone who is a patient in the ESCO experiencing the changes and learn from them how we need to do a better job. No, it's true. I mean, I, I hope they bring up that mall idea. I hope they bring up telemedicine. Um, you know, some appointments can be done, you know, so I don't have to drive. Um, to make it more convenient so we can go live, as you said, the life we were meant to live. Got it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and explaining ESCOs. And I, I really think the whole community needs to work on acronyms because there are just so many of them. <laughs> and I I have to say, like ESCO, CMMI, CMO, CMS, I mean, it's a different language. So um, maybe we can just come up with like a word and then it means something. I don't know. I think we need a committee. So... <laughs> I'll come up with a better name. <laughs> this is Wayne. Hey, Wayne. I think the patients and, and the general public, uh, you know, in conjunction with the PKD community and ESRD community, needs to understand that, that this project and initiative, I think one of the biggest benefits is, it's brought awareness. Um, I recently talked to somebody who is, you know, is a very intelligent person. I tried to explain the ESCO to him, and I said, well, do you know what I... Um, ACO is in the hospital setting. He says, oh, of course, I, you know, I know about accountable, accountable care organizations. I said, well, it's an ESCO. I said, ESRD, seamless mm -hmm. care organization. He said, ESRD, you know, and I, I said, are you telling me you don't understand what e ESRD stands for? And he says, I honestly don't. So I said, well, end stage renal disease. He says, well, gee, what's that? So it really was an eye-opener to me that I think the ESCO is going to give us a great opportunity just for the general public to even become aware of what CKD is, chronic kidney disease, right. with the hopes of being able to prevent any patient from ever having to go on dialysis again. But for me, that's, that's a big, big part of this initiative is that we are able to utilize incredible resources to reach out to society and to bring awareness and then to utilize this transitional care coordination to not only benefit the health care of each individual patient and ultimately hopefully have cost savings from uh, federal government programs and state programs, but really just to bring the community together and, and to bring awareness and to help improve the mental health of CKD and ESRD population. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it, it is. It's. Um, I appreciate all your efforts to improving the care of people who have kidney disease, and I look forward to learning more about your program as it progresses. So with that, you know, go take care of your patients. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.